and welcome to a new episode of PR360, and I'm your host, Brett Deister. And if you could please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music, it really does help, and leave a review, because that helps just as much. It's like the ranking systems and everything, it just helps with that. So leave a review, tell us how we're doing. Anyways, moving on to the meat of the episode is that I have Carla Fitzgerald, and she is a freelance marketer that actually helps a bunch of different industries. She is a B2B marketing leader. That's right. She leads people into success for B2B with complex technologies. That's what most people don't like. It's more complex than your iPhone because iPhones are technologies as well. But she helps understand that with compelling people to buy and invest. So it's going to be an interesting discussion with Carla. So welcome to the show, Carla. Thank you so much, Brent. And my first question is, all my guests is, are you a coffee or a tea drinker? I will tell you that I am absolutely obsessed with my Nespresso machine. And I have mastered a lavender vanilla latte that rivals any coffee shop. Ooh, now you got me intrigued. How did you master that? Because I used to be a barista, by the way. There you go. So I make my own lavender syrup using lavender extract. And then I mix that a little bit of vanilla extract in there. And then I have to be honest, the Nespresso machine does the rest. Nice. Hey, you got to use technology where you can. We're technology leaders. Absolutely. I'm all about making life easier with technology. It tries to. Sometimes it doesn't go according to plan. And anyways, moving on to more B2B and tech. And what are some of the biggest hurdles for that sector in the B2B tech sector with marketers in 2020? I would say every B2B tech marketer would agree that the impact of the pandemic and canceling all in-person events was huge. I mean, from even a trade show perspective, which is a big focus for both demand generation and branding, with trade shows, conferences being canceled, there was just this huge vacuum in where are we going to get leads? How are we going to get our name out there? And how are we going to participate in the industry as thought leaders and everything else when these industry events are all gone. Even for companies that host their own events, they have their own user groups, they have their own uh, conferences, their own in-person seminars, et cetera. All of those are generally opportunities to have a really new relationship built with prospects and customers. So that relationship building and retention aspect of customer relations, all of that was impacted. So all of that then resulted in everyone scrambling to online events. So in the past where you had this balance of in-person events and virtual events, now 100% of marketing activities are moved to virtual. So what does that mean for the potential customer or prospect? Just a bombardment of invitations to virtual events, right? Everyone's coming at them from every direction to come to my webinar, come watch this panel conversation, come to this virtual trade show. They're already online 10 hours a day trying to conduct work through Zoom or Teams or Google Meetup. So now you have this online Zoom fatigue, a bombardment of emails inviting you to more virtual events, and frankly, very low engagement. Because when I go to an actual trade show, conference, seminar, I'm sitting there, I'm talking to the people around me, I'm watching the presenter, I'm taking notes, I'm physically present and participating. But when it's virtual, how easy is it for us to keep the speaker on, 
but go make some coffee, start doodling, looking, checking my LinkedIn on my phone. So engagement levels are much lower as well. All of those things have had a, a huge impact on B2B marketing and even on the PR aspect of that, right? There aren't any analyst tours happening in person. There aren't big announcements tied to key industry events. So the impact of trying to time the PR cadence with the big industry activities has just really been diluted and watered down and squashed. And what used to be a captive audience of a bunch of journalists, editors all converging, that that audience isn't happening anymore. Yeah, I've heard some people talk about how just terrible online events are. No one really likes them. We have to do them in some ways, but no one really likes them. I went to a meetup for like med tech and I wasn't barely paying attention as it was because the computer, you can go anywhere you want to. And it just seems like there needs to be maybe some virtual reality component to it to make it seem like you're Mm -hmm. there when you're not really there. What do you think? Do you think VR should actually start to become part of the virtual events? Really a fantastic point, which is if you need to use something to create that engagement, right? Whether it's VR, which is absolutely something that is interesting to people, whether it's any form of interactive media as part of that engagement. Even what I say to people is when you're having a webinar or a web seminar, you must use polling at a minimum to get people to participate. So rather than just speak at you, people out in the world on, behind the screen, get that participation by asking questions during the event. How many of you are implementing new analytic solutions to get better insight out of the data you have? Get people to answer that quick survey and then share those results as part of the presentation. So now you're forcing people to pay attention because you're asking them a question. Plus, you're getting people to build a little bit of community because they're seeing, okay, of all of us that are online, gee, only 20% of us are not pursuing new analytics solutions. So if I'm in that 20%, I'm thinking, uh uh-oh, (laughs) maybe I'm behind the eight ball and I need to start figuring out what my peers are doing differently and how I can start to up my game or get their advice or what are the best practices in this area. So interactivity, creativity, when it comes to the way you deliver the message, like you pointed out with virtual reality or augmented reality, and just giving people more ways to view and think about the way you're going to deliver information is super important. Yeah. I know a lot of these events or virtual events were like basically done really quickly. So they're not supposed to be like these amazing shows, but moving on to 2021, how can PR pros and event planners make them better besides asking the questions? Is it having specific one-on-ones into splitting them off into different chat rooms for people to have that one-on-one interaction? What else could we actually do and maybe lower the cost? Because I remember a podcasting event. I was like, oh, it's in Austin. And then it's it's all virtual and it's the same price. And I'm like, why would I want to pay the same price for not actually going anywhere? (laughs) Yeah, I hear your point on that. And you bring up a really excellent point, Brett, about the need for relevance and personalization, right? More and more B2B marketing, like business to consumer, is using technology and data to really hone in on the individual interests, 
needs, concerns, challenges of each individual stakeholder buyer, right? B2B sales are, are, are complicated because there's lots of people involved in a buying decision, right? It's not, when you're a consumer, you can just impulse buy. I see the new iPhone, I want it, I buy it. Sexy packaging, sexy features, new cameras, I'm done. Maybe I have to check with my husband on the budget, but that's about it. But when you're buying solutions that are in the tens and hundreds of thousands and even in the millions of dollars, which is what a lot of this technology is, over, especially over a few years of investment, there are a dozen people involved in a purchase decision. So it used to be that you blanket out, spread out your brochures and advertising and your white papers and all of these things. You just blast them all out, that kind of a spray and pray. But that doesn't work anymore. Because as consumers, we're getting conditioned to have vendors speak to us based on our personal interests, our personal needs, our personal circumstances, our personal environment. And so now the technology allows us to be much more focused and personalized and relevant for each of these business stakeholders. So I need to, as a PR person and a marketer, speak to the financial buyer differently than I speak to the technical user, differently than I speak to the customer support rep who's going to have to use the solution, service of their end customer, et cetera. So this personalizing is key. And you brought that up in terms of should we have one-on-one engagement with the market? If you can have one-on-one, absolutely. But even if you can't scale speaking, having one-on-one conversations all day, you can hone in on particular stakeholder messaging that is relevant to that persona, that role in the buying process, and really create more relevance so that they want to listen. They want to come to the webinar because they know it's specifically for them. It's not like here's a topic all kinds of people can come listen and try to find the 10 minutes that are relevant to you. Nobody wants to devote an hour for 10 minutes of relevance. And what are some ways that PR pros and marketers, could they be using podcasts to be an alternative or at least an additional content being more personalized? You said with the event, could they be using live streaming video, something like that as well? Yeah. In terms of ways to adapt, once you focus in on your messaging, right, it all starts with valid, relevant messaging. It doesn't matter how sophisticated the channel is, whether it's podcasting, video interviews, et cetera. The message has to be right and on target. So once you focus on that, then I think you really need to think about what are tactics that are convenient for my audience that will create that engagement with my audience. So a podcast is a kind of a one-to-many, so there's not a lot of engagement. That doesn't mean it's not useful for delivering valuable tips and tricks, but there's not a lot of engagement. If you think instead about things like creating online demos, that the user can choose which direction they're going to go in. Think about video games where you can choose your path, right? Which way does the story take when you're playing a video game? Oh, I'm interested. My daughter right now is obsessed with the Sasquatch game on Apple TV. And she gets to choose her path, right? Today, she's going to go rob picnic baskets with the Sasquatch. Tomorrow, she's going to go try to climb this mountain and capture whatever things are up there, creatures and sizes, et cetera. So choose your adventure is really a way to think about how do I create relevance and engagement? Can I create a demo environment? 
where I can choose my adventure and what I want to look at? Can I create a seminar to your point about different rooms where I can choose which room I want to go into to listen and I can pop in and out. I want to listen to this speaker, but you know what? Mm, I'm not that interested. Can I shift over and listen to something else? Maybe that's going to be more intriguing for me. So finding those opportunities to create relevance and engagement, to me, those are the keys. So it'd be like using, let's say, because I, I do know that YouTube a while ago, but I do remember they actually did have some company did a choose your own adventure through YouTube videos. And I did mm-hmm. do it. And it was very interesting. I don't remember it. I don't remember what it was. It was so long ago, but I just remember that is being choose your own adventure for videos. And I'm wondering if they could do that for events for B2B or B2C or whatever with using Microsoft Teams or for gaming discord or Slack because Slack has their different channels and using that as your different sessions. And you can pop in and out to different sessions as well, because I know virtual events are just this all encompassing, just one video for one person. And we haven't really thought about it as physical events anymore. We need to start thinking, should that be more personalized in a way of using teams to its full advantage? Cause you can create different channels and teams. To me, that's exactly the way we need to go because God willing, we're going to get this pandemic under control, but people now, some of them like the convenience of being able to not have to fly to Austin to get the information. So to your point about the cost, it's not just the registration cost, which I agree shouldn't be as high if you're not paying for rented hotel banquet suites and all those kinds of things. So the costs do need to come down and be more reasonable for virtual events, but at the same time, it's the cost of your time flying to places and having to figure out how to work your day job while you're at these other events because the day job doesn't stop just because you want to go to a conference or a seminar or something. So the convenience of being able to sit down at your desk at home and dial in to different events, that convenience to me is, is a real key to keeping virtual events valuable and an, an important part of your mix, even as in-person events come back into the place. Mm. Yeah. It's a very interesting thing with virtual events now. It's the hot topic of like how yeah, for sure. can we make this better? Yeah, for sure. And what do you also think needs to change for PR pros when it comes to messaging products in the tech industry? I know since you said gaming and I'm a gamer, I build my own computers and stuff. Gaming companies have just switched to virtual events because a lot of times they could just do it on Twitch and just unveil their games or whatever and that's how they do it but how can other tech companies that may not have that appeal or the budget to do these big like grandiose product events how can they do it Mm -hmm. i would say the written word is still a very important tool in pr right whether people are sending out pitch letters to get an editor's attention whether they're drafting press releases whether they're writing contributed articles The written word matters. And the one thing that I think just really is a challenge, a problem, and even something that turns people off in the B2B tech world in particular is the use of buzzwords and jargon. There's just so much buzzword acronyms and things. It's almost as if people want to try to sound smart. And so they throw in as many buzzwords as they can think of into the press release instead of just speaking in clear, plain, language as people like to say tell me so my tell it tell it to me as if you're talking to your grandmother 
how would you explain this to somebody who's just a business person, not in the technology world of development and engineering and architecture and all of that? In fact, when I consult with a company in marketing, I like to play a little game called buzzword bingo with their material. I say, can you, let's pull out some press releases, some articles, some brochures, some web copy. There's a bunch of buzzwords and we're going to circle all the times we find these buzzwords. And I'm talking about things like what phrases, powerful insights, optimized performance, intelligent, predictive machine learning. Think about how many times you read things like that in tech PR. And what happens is every company sounds the same. Every product sounds the same. I was thinking of Apple. So every press release sounds the same. So you can't differentiate, you can't get attention, you can't relate to people and have them quickly understand what you do that's unique when you throw out all these buzzwords all the time. So to me, one of the things that has to change is let's try to speak English, people. Let's try to make things very simple, easy to understand because our attention span as humans is just getting shorter and shorter. If I have to read a paragraph three times to understand what you're saying, I'm not going to read it three times. you got to catch me in the first six words, right? So we need to speak English and get rid of some of the buzzwords. It could be just because you're in the culture of whatever it is, and it just is second nature to you to actually say the buzzwords too. Because sometimes I think people just don't mean to be buzzwordy. They just sometimes are because they are in the industry. Yeah, you're right, Brett. And you know what I say to that is that the key to effective marketing and PR is to put yourself in the prospect's mind, in the receiver's mind, right? Just because it's comfortable for me to talk about predictive analytics doesn't mean it's comfortable for my prospect, who is a financial manager. They don't think in terms of predictive analytics. They think in terms of how do I make sure that my expense line is managed and I'm growing profit. So the fact that I make predictive analytics, that doesn't relate to their problem. You need to speak to people in their frame of mind, right? What, what is the language they use? What is the way they think about the world and their challenges? If you can speak to someone in the way they think in the language they use, now you're going to have a connection. So it's a little bit lazy, right? I'm in this world where all we talk about is intelligent machine learning and optimized performance and blah, blah, blah. Get out of your own world. Get into the world of your audience. How do they think? What do they need? What are their concerns? And that's how you need to speak to them. And speaking of still B2B, but more of the component side, because recently I've been trying to build a computer. I can't find CPUs or new CPUs for the life of me. They're all bought by scalpers and bots and everything. I can't buy a new GPU. Same problem. <laughs> no one can buy PS5. No one can buy Xbox Series X. So how is this product or like material constraint happen for the B2B? Is there an actual product constraint on that side, just not on the B2C side? Is there anything with that in the tech industry that you've seen so far? Because it seems like 2020 just either sold out or you can't do anything. I have to say, I recently worked for a company that's in the GPS tracking space, what they call telematics, right? Telematic devices that are tracking devices, sensors and things that are used in cars and in 
commercial trucks and in trailers, et cetera. And I know that in that industry, because a lot of those parts are sourced from China or in other parts of the world, the supply was absolutely impacted by the pandemic. And in addition, with just the ability to import goods or the ability to source talent, because a lot of development engineering is offshore as well, right? Offshore engineering, offshore design. So when you think about the fact that this was a global pandemic, there were people impacted all over the world, not just parts were impacted, but but people's jobs were impacted, right? The ability to go to work every day for people was hard to do. And, and even getting online and trying to do work, when your family members are sick, when people in your community are sick, when you don't know if you're going to be able to get toilet paper, <laughs> your mind is not fully focused. So I think in general, productivity was dramatically affected for a lot of companies, even for people who could work virtually. The productivity was affected. And I was really pleased to see how many companies focused on employee relations, employee mental health, trying to retain the culture of their environment, even though it was virtual, even though people couldn't physically be together, there was so much activity and intention around allowing people to manage this stress, stay engaged at work, and know that they were contributing to something valuable, but giving them the space to manage their personal life as it's been affected by this pandemic. And more and more, I think that the opportunities for marketing and PR to incorporate not only company culture, but corporate social responsibility into the way they treat their whole brand, the way they treat their whole outreach efforts, I think is going to be even more appreciated because of what we went through with this pandemic. And so would you say if that actually happened to a business you were consulting, how would you message it? Because it seems like for my side, consumer mm -hmm. sides, when we wanted to get something and we couldn't because it was sold out it was sold out mm -hmm. literally in seconds. Like you had to be a bot or you had to be really lucky. Mm. How on that side could you actually message it better? Cause I feel like the companies didn't really yeah. message it very well. It just said, Oh, we did such a great job of selling out of things. And it's, I didn't get what I wanted. Thanks for letting me know. Yeah. You're bringing up a great point, which is to say in the business to business space, you really need, um, a lot of long-term relationship equity with your customers because their business does depend on you as a supplier, right? If you're selling business critical solutions, whether it's hardware or software or anything else, their business depends on you as a supplier and things aren't always going to go perfectly. So it doesn't, in this case, it was about the shortage of supplies, the shortage of people, manpower, resourcing, et cetera, for sure. And the smart businesses, were very proactive and direct with their customers, being very upfront. This is how our business is being impacted. This is what it's going to mean to our ability to deliver to you. We're doing everything that we can to try to work around this, support your needs, but just being upfront and honest about the impact is critical because just like in any human-to-human -human relationship, nobody's perfect. Things do come into play that create tension and friction in a relationship. But where you build long-term relationships is where you have honesty and trust. And so businesses need to treat their customers the same way. 
and truly try to do whatever it takes to meet their needs, but not at the expense of your people. Because if you don't treat your employees first, you won't have a company to deliver products and goods to your customers. So you can't push your employees to run ragged because you want to deliver to a customer, especially in a time of crisis like this. I think your first priority is for your employees, making sure they're safe, making sure they're uh, they're well uh, taken care of. And if your employees stick with you, there will be a company to deliver to to customers later on. But you can't sacrifice your employees to try to be on the list for your customers' purchases or whatever the case is. Employees first, and then that allows you to serve your customer for the long term. That's my opinion. And what trends or other trends are you seeing in the B2B tech PR marketing side of things? There's a lot of blurring of the line between PR branding and demand generation. And a lot of that is brought about because of digital, right? Digital campaigns really can blend all those three disciplines. So for example, you have things like the Forbes Technology Council or the Forbes Business Council, where you can buy a sponsorship and promote content, thought leadership content, that then potentially yields to leads. So here we are combining branding, PR, and demand gen all in one vehicle through a thought leadership council that is delivered through online media. So because these lines are blurring, to me, it's all the more reason why great marketing programs are these integrated programs that are cohesive. You don't just run with PR in one direction and run with demand gen in a different direction. A lot of times I'm seeing people trying to hire specialists. I want to hire a specialist for digital marketing, a specialist for PR, a specialist for marketing operations. But the fact is your team is going to work best when there's an awareness of what all the other parts have to do so that you can have integrated cohesive strategies that all work together. You're going to get not only the best output, but you're going to get the best bang for your budget because these things can all leverage each other to, to get better results if they're working together. So I would say for sure, that blending is having an impact on the way marketing and PR is conducted in the B2B industry. All right. And what advice do you have for the PR pros who want to become the CMOs and the C-level positions that some people aspire to be, some people don't, but a lot of people do aspire to be those CMOs, the CEOs, but the CMOs specifically, how do you get those or give advice for those people? There's two key things that I think in marketing or PR should do if they want to move up into the C-suite and have broader responsibility. And that's really spending time with one of others to spend time with both sales and customers because you need a great relationship with the sales team because they are basically the execution arm of that customer touch, that prospect touch, right? They are that front line that's responsible for revenue. If there's no revenue, there's no company. <laughs> They're part of the marketing effort. Marketing and sales need to be uh, hand in hand, joined at the hip. And so that relationship that you build with sales is about understanding their world, how hard it is to do a sales job. And it's about making sure that you have credibility with them, not only that you understand their job, but that you understand their prospects, their customers. So that's why it's important to spend time with customers because 
you can't be a good marketer or PR person if you don't understand the audience that you're speaking to. So I have to say, I've been very lucky that I started my career in technology as a customer. I worked in a data center. I was implementing software, using software as a customer for a vendor called Computer Associates or CA at the time. I was recruited by the vendor to become a systems engineer to help sell and support their technology to other customers. So in that role, I worked side by side with salespeople. I went on presentations with salespeople. I helped them plan how they're going to attack a customer to try to get in the door. I helped them um, give the pitch and write the response to the proposals. And, And so I have this really deep sensitivity to not only how hard it is to select and use a solution as a customer, how I have to change my operation to accommodate new technologies and new ways of doing things and what it means, how hard that is, plus how hard it is to sell that solution. I've been side by side with them. And really, I feel like that's shaped my view of marketing dramatically. It's given me a lot of depth to understand what I'm talking about and who I'm talking to. And a lot of marketers, they don't have that depth. They're either very narrow in their niche or they're very high level in their understanding. And so it's very hard to earn a C-suite role if you're too narrow or too shallow in your perspective. So to me, the best way to get depth and breadth is to work closely with sales and with customers. The other thing I would say in any C-suite role is you need to understand and be comfortable with metrics. Because your CEO and your board members, really all they care about is results and metrics. (laughs) So all the creativity in the world isn't going to matter unless it turns into measurable results for the company. Mm -hmm. And fun question for you. If you could create a virtual event, how would you create your own virtual event? Oh, well, now that's a good question because I think to me, I would want to try to mimic the real world experience. For example, I used to love breakfast seminars. And the reason I liked it is because people are fresh at the beginning of their day. They haven't gone into all the stress and hectic activity of the workday. So when you try to do things midday, it's really hard to pull someone out of the hectic pace of the workday. But if you start the day with an event, they're fresh, they're relatively stress-free <laughs> and you have their attention. Now, How do you do a breakfast event virtually? You can certainly arrange to have breakfast delivered to people's homes through a DoorDash or Uber Eats or something as part of that experience. So I can literally sit and eat a nice breakfast while I'm watching your event. I can pre-ship them in their invitation a bag of specialty coffee or some coffee syrup that they can add to their coffee or tea as part of that experience. So I can try to stimulate that experience, even though it's not all in one room, it can be in each individual room that person is participating in. So to me, that's the type of thing that I would be looking for, as well as creating some interactivity, because what I like to do at trade shows, conferences, panel sessions, et cetera, is experience that's not run of the mill. So for example, I love to have games as part of a trade show event. You can do a lot of games using the mobile device, right? Asking people to quickly answer a question to win a prize. Pick out your mobile, text your answer, et cetera. You can do that same thing virtually. 
here's a game, here's a quiz, text your answer as fast as possible. And the winner that we record first is going to be shipped to prize. Yeah, creating that type of interactivity and fun can still happen, even though it's virtual. And so that's where I would try to focus. All right. Any final thoughts for our listeners? I love the opportunity to make business to business marketing more personal. And so I just really encourage people to remember that even though you're selling to a business, you're selling to people and you're selling trust. And so just think about that when you're putting together your marketing program. All right. Thank you, Carla, for joining PR 360. Really appreciate you showing off or telling people about all the things that you know about B2B PR. I hope it's helpful. Thanks, Brett. All right. And thank you for listening to PR 360. As always, please subscribe to PR 360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music in the review. It always helps in the ranking. And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe. Join a virtual event if you can. And see you next week. Later.